Welcome back to ATBS, the podcast. It's Jeff, and I'm glad you're here. In this episode, we'll spend time exploring threshold experiences with a gentleman named Jesse Eppinger. I think his name should be Red Bear, though. I hope you enjoy it. Matt Seiler here, lover of a good competition. One of the other guests on Jeff's phenomenal podcast threw a gauntlet trying to make his episode the most popular on the phenomenal ATBS, the podcast series. Being the frequent guest on the only sub-series, SFAO, I want to make sure that I win. And by winning, Jeff wins. And by Jeff winning, we all win. So please like, share, own, make sure that it gets the popularity it demands as ATBS rules the world. Jesse Eppinger, welcome to the ATBS Podship. Glad to be here, Jeff. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. You and I have had a couple of preliminary precast type conversations and I always find them interesting because I think, and I had one this morning with another gentleman where we both said after 35 or 40 minutes, wow, I wish we'd recorded that. Here we are and we get to wander off in pretty much any direction we'd like. And for my listeners, I met Jesse a little less than a year ago at a gathering in Northern California that I was so fortunate to be invited to. It was a small group of people. I think 20 some odd were invited to a magical, magical place on top of the ridge in the Santa Cruz Mountains in Northern California. And man, it was an eye-opening, heart-expanding, really mind-bending in a very positive way experience for one Jeff Volmerick. And Jesse, when we when we met, I think I said, very nice to meet you. And, and or I said something about like, how are you? And you said something like, I'm better for seeing you or meeting you. And that was where we first laid eyes on each other. And, and here we are sometime later after having been in each other's presence a number of times. And I've had a blast each and every time. Mm, oh, beautiful words. I believe when I saw you, I said, I'm better to see you. <laughs> uh, and it was true. It was my deepest truth in that moment. That was a spectacular weekend of, you know, the invitation for that weekend. I've read to a few people prior to that weekend. And I was like, I'm not really sure what I'm getting into here, but it sounds like I, I kind of have to be there. I felt like I needed to be there. And as it turned out, boy, am I glad that I was. I think we probably all look forward to being able to potentially have an experience like that sometime in our future where people gather and enjoy each other's company and the way we did there. And so, and then you and I had the very good fortune to, I guess I had the great fortune to invite you to join the Colorado river expedition this March into April and you accepted and it worked and you came under really, you know, challenging circumstances for all of us. And we got to spend 21 days in each other's presence. Yeah. What a gift. Such a gift. Such a way to kick off the COVID season. <laughs> right. You said, I, the fact that we spent the first 30 days of quarantine 
deep in Mother Earth in that grandest of canyons. You know, stunning. Yeah. I think that was another one of those, I'm not sure what I'm getting into, but I feel like I've got to be there experiences. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh my goodness. And through these experiences, as I said, I've, I've been fortunate to be invited into a tribe of people in, in Northern California. And then, you know, you mixed in with a really cool group of people on the river. And through those experiences, we've shared a bunch of conversations and some ceremony. And, you know, here we are with an opportunity to talk about and explore various ceremonial opportunities, rituals, you know, experiences, expansion, inward exploration, outward expansion. And I know you've had an experience recently that might be a really good place to start. I know we, you know, you've only been back from a another spectacular experience in life for for what, like three weeks or something, right? Yeah, just over three. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a big one for me. It was called Vision Quest. It's a native rite of passage present in cultures all over the globe. But this one in particular comes from the Condor clan, which is a Native American group in Southern California. You know, the bare bones of it are you walk off into the wilderness with nothing but water and the bare essentials and you find a nice place to sit down and you look at nature for four days. You don't eat, you sleep little and you just witness what it is to be. There's a lot of preparation that goes into that. Uh, traditionally, there's a year of what's called severance, and that's identifying the parts of you and the parts of your life and the parts of your identity that you're going to let go of, that you're going to lay to rest, that you're going to acknowledge are in the past and then walk across a threshold, which is a big piece of it, you know, a delineation of the past to the future. Call in what's new, call in what the future looks like, call in what your purpose what your mission, what your passion, how you show up for both your community, for yourself, for your family, and get clear on that in a place of solitude, in a place of stillness, where the only chaos is that of the trees blowing and the birds fluttering down and the, the flies buzzing in your nose and your ears. That was the most profound, I really feel, of all the transformational experiences I've been blessed to have, which I imagine we'll dip into some of those in this conversation. I say it was the most profound because it was just my mind and the breath. I was there, I was present. I went in with a journal and a lighter and built a small fire and I had time to just reflect. That level of profundity is not exclusive to four days of solitude in the mountains or you know, 10 days of a silent Vipassana meditation. It can come spontaneously, but it can also be facilitated. And in our buildup to having this call, I found myself again fortunate to be exposed to practices and teachers and ceremonies and rituals that facilitate that profound transformation. And I think that's something that's available to all of us and it's even woven into so many ancient traditions and cultures around the world. And it's not so present in our modern day-to-day -day world. It hasn't taken the front seat. It hasn't taken the spotlight. There's so many paths to find that level of profound 
enjoyment of life. And I'm glad to be able to sit here and speak with you on what a few of them are. The idea or reality, I guess it's more of a reality, that profound experiences like the one you just described, that we live in a world where you're not just go walking in and getting them off the shelf, right? Like you can't just go to the convenience store or go to the grocery store or, or you know, go to Amazon and have it delivered. like like, you know i mean (laughs) i mean i don't know about you but i've seen and heard some people like what it's gonna take 20 days for that to get delivered what what's going on in the world right like we have this instantaneous like i could just order it on amazon it'll be here tomorrow so these experiences aren't like that we have an opportunity to take an active role in our lives and it says right at the top of my website, you know, ATBS podcast is a, it's a weekly podcast for the curious and open-minded among us. So here we are, I know I'm curious and I think I'm fairly open-minded and and I hope many of the listeners, I think if you're listening, you probably are pretty curious and open-minded. So the fact that you can't just go to Amazon and grab it. So you have to be willing to do some looking, turn over some rocks, listen to some podcasts listen to somebody who's had an experience. And I think that's oftentimes the most common, right? Word of mouth is still a beautiful way to share information and experiences. And here we are doing that. And so as always in the program notes to this episode, there will be references and websites and names and places that, you know, should you become as a listener, become curious about any, any of these things, you'll have some references to go and at least start your start your journey and inquire and and research and yeah that kind of takes us to the taking responsibility for self and experiences and growth many of these experiences are about you know growing personally not stagnating playing an active role yeah i think playing an active role is maybe not the first piece but it's a essential piece I would say the first piece comes back to, you know, just how we started this conversation is, you know, I'm not sure what this is all about, but I'm curious. Something inside me says to go forward. That voice, you know, that impulse, that intuition, it's trainable, it's refinable, it's a muscle. The first time I I really listened to it and had a positive feedback, I was probably about 16. And, you know, for... <laughs> frame of reference. You know, I was in a heavy metal band. I had dreadlocks. I was like classic coming out of high school, rebelling, looking to tell the world who I am. And the irony there is that I had no idea who I was. Right. 10 years from now, I'll probably say the same. Didn't back then when I was talking to Jeff on the show, but yeah, let's hope so. Like, I think that's the whole thing is let's continue to evolve. Yeah. 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 Let's continue to, to break open and find what's underneath. And so see this, you know, this punk looking kid, Jesse, and I walk into a yoga studio in New Jersey with my mentor in life at the time, a very dear friend still to this day. And he brought me to a yoga class with a yogi named Sean Korn. And all I knew about her was that she was this beautiful West Coast LA yogi. I had been to maybe one or two yoga classes just knew that it was hard, made me sweat. I couldn't touch my toes. And I come into this class and an hour and a half, two hours later, 
I'm lying on the ground, bawling my eyes out. I'm on the outside, completely metal and punk, but she cracked us open with this meditation and she wove the philosophy of yoga really into the experience. It wasn't just about exercise. It was about moving through the body, clearing out whatever was holding us back from having the fullest expression of being. And I didn't know what that meant as a 16 year old kid, but by the end of this sequence, this class, I was experiencing what in hindsight I see to be a transformational experience. In hindsight, I see that it's one of the first times that I tapped into unconditional love, not just for myself, but for, for all beings. And it happened in an hour and a half in a workshop. And I chose to go because my gut told me to walk in there, but I in no way planned it out or had a table of contents as to how the day would go. And that space of feeling such happiness and joy quickly was washed over by sorrow because I realized like, oh my gosh, I don't think I know anyone that's felt this way, at least that I know. How can we all feel this way? And I think that's a moment that often can turn into like evangelical, I need to share this, I need to show the world. But in my case, it really just sparked a, a curiosity, which led me for the last decade plus to ashrams and jungles and ceremonies of all sorts, trying to, I think successfully trying to tap into that state of pure bliss in a healthy way and then come back and share with my community, my peers, my friends, with you, what that looked like and how we can get there. And so that first experience for me was yoga. It was moving my body and then breathing, dipping into different forms of breath work to calm the mind, to calm the nervous system. But there's so many other ways. And there are all these kind of, I say ceremony because it's, it's a one-time thing. You know, like a wedding is a ceremony. It's a instance that happens once it marks a change there's a big experience and then forever after that something's different in the case of a wedding people are coupled with a ring and i say ceremony versus ritual which i recently really dove into the distinction in that ritual is something that we do regularly every day to facilitate a change and so yoga could be considered a ritual it's something that we do we have a practice we get onto the mat maybe the same time, maybe not, maybe the same place, maybe not, maybe the same style of yoga, maybe not, but we come with the intention of breathing and moving our body and getting into a higher, I say higher in quotes, state of consciousness. Sometimes it's not a ritual. Sometimes it's just a one-off. Sometime after that, maybe about six, seven years ago, I found myself in the jungle in Thailand and I had spent months living in an ashram, practicing the philosophy of yoga at its core, really diving into what it means to live every moment of every day, trying to cultivate this present awareness. And while in this jungle in Thailand, somebody hands me a bowl of chocolate, it's essentially all I knew it to be, and walks us through a meditation of sorts. There's some intentions set and some breathing and some practices to keep us focused. But I'll tell you what, Jeff, after that, that bowl of what I now know as cacao, 
It's the, the roots of chocolate. It's what we make chocolate out of. I was in another one of those outrageous experiences of love and bliss and joy. I, I mean, like I, I literally was jumping through the jungle. I was prancing around. <laughs> I was in the back of a pickup truck with my arms in the air, like screaming at the top of my lungs, like, woohoo. And that was a completely different way to get there. You know, somebody served me a substance. It was chocolate in this case, and it facilitated this opening. And so that was a pretty big moment for me in understanding how we can get there. And that led to a, a year practice. Every day for one year, I sat down in the morning with a bowl of cacao, which is just ground up beans from the cacao tree. And I would sit in meditation and I would drink this cacao, just like I did this morning, and check in with that intuition, you know, that gut feeling that says, I don't know what this is, but I should be there. And that became a ritual of listening to that voice, the voice that would say, go that way. I like to talk about it like a compass. Whatever our practice is to refine that muscle, refine that tool that is our intuition. I sat with that for a year and that ultimately led to someone saying, you know, I love what you're saying about all this cacao business, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you show me? And so that was a transitionary moment in time, probably about four or five years ago, where I started hosting cacao ceremonies and I drew upon the practices that I was most comfortable and most adept at. And one of those is yoga nidra, it's a form of guided meditation, where the guide directs your awareness throughout the body. So essentially I would say left hand thumb, index finger, second finger, so on and so forth, all through the body. And that practice of calming the mind, slowing down the conscious mind, taking us deep down to this threshold between being awake and conscious and being asleep and unconscious and floating on that threshold right between the two where you're not asleep, but you're not quite thinking, you just are. And I think that's one of the goals of many forms of mindfulness meditation is to just be present. I like to call that the film, right? Like you're in the film, floating along, dipping in and out of the film between consciousness and unconsciousness and, and, you know, like that surface tension of the water. Right. And I've been there a few times, right. Through yoga nidra and, and what a magical place and experience to have. I believe we, we shared cacao and yoga nidra in the grand Canyon. Did we not? We, we shared cacao, yoga nidra and psilocybin. Oh yes. Thank you very much. Oh yes. There was a kicker there. <laughs> There was a kicker, but you led the ceremony and it was, oh my gosh, it was spectacular. It was my first cacao ceremony, not my first yoga nidra experience and not my first psilocybin experience. Certainly my first experience bringing them all together. Yeah. That was a good day of trifecta. That was a great trifecta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the, what's distilled out of all of that is that there's many paths to finding this place of peace, this place of joy, this place of awe and enamorment with life. And there's ways to get there too. It's not 
this spontaneous, oh, I just accidentally walked into a yoga class or, oh, I just happened to stumble upon this cacao ceremony. There's people that we can talk to that facilitate these kinds of experiences. You know, I work with cacao mostly. It's safe. It's legal across the world. It opens up the heart and there's a whole mythology. I mean, we could spend an hour talking just about cacao, but there's some beautiful roots to that medicine in itself. But being out here in California, uh, you know, we're kind of at the epicenter of all of the research that's going into psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And I think those clinician guided experiences are more or less the same substance that some of these more esoteric or spontaneous experiences are. And the value of that realm of, you know, academic meets psychedelic is that there's a lot of structure and form there, which is really good for the Western mind. You know, even in a cacao ceremony, I can't just sit down with a group of people and start getting all woo-woo. Uh, you'll lose everyone's attention. You won't have any trust. And so a big piece of my methodology there is talking about, you know, the science of the molecules of the bean that we're consuming, how they interact with the brain, how they interact with our endogenous neurotransmitters, how they how their own molecular makeup affects our brain and how it causes our brain to act differently. And I think that the academic understanding of transformational experience is really helpful for someone who's never had this kind of experience because it taps into this learned understanding of reality that, you know, we, we really rely on science. We rely on this deductive reasoning to understand what's happening. And often these transformational experiences take us outside of that realm of logic and deduction. But if we start there, we generally have a little more trust and that allows us to believe. And a big piece of any of these spaces is you have to believe that you're going to have something. You have to believe at the very least, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm curious, right? You have to have some kind of interest in being there. Nobody can force this kind of opening upon you. It has to come from within. And I think that the path of getting there through a little bit of logic, through a little bit of this is A to B to C, allows us to branch off into the multiverse. It is 12.35 p.m. on Thursday, July 30th, and I seem to be here on my own without a host which is pretty great because that means now I'm the host. I'm the host and the interviewee. That's an interesting place to be. I suppose I can ask myself anything I want. Oh, we have a host again. <laughs> we have a host. I, I have to wonder where you've been. <laughs> where you might have taken yourself off to. Well, we talked about the multiverse for a brief moment and then became aware that I was here all alone and that i had to fill both roles picking back up as i went through a whole technological reboot there when i parted the conversation you were talking about cacao and receptors and various ways in i think it's an area where we're going to be able to dive deeply that there are so many ways to access pure bliss Sometimes I just get lost for words here, but our connection 
to source our connection to self. And that combination, and whether it's through Yoga Nidra or through a cacao ceremony or through Vision Quest or, you know, other places we're going to go and talk about, there just seem to be so many ways in. Yeah, I think we're designed to get there. And, you know, not to say that there's a, a giant puppeteer in the sky designing everything. That's not the belief I hold. But I think that the evidence would suggest that our bodies, our brains, our connection to each other, our connection to the planet, it's so perfect. And it can facilitate with choice, I believe, these kinds of ineffable experiences so plentifully. There's so many paths there, like you said, that there's there's something to be said for walking down that path of having more of those experiences of connection. Like you said, whichever way they may come, whatever practice gets us there, there's a an experience or a, a generally noticeable experience that we feel purpose after these experiences. It's literally woven into Vision Quest, right? Like you go out to find your purpose, to find your vision. It is anecdotally reported after experiences with psychedelics like 5-MeO-DMT or ayahuasca. You know, people come back, we come back from these massive adventures, we'll call them. And there's this sense of like, ah, I get it. This is why I'm here. I can't quite describe it, but I understand it. And having that sense of belonging, that sense of connection to source, to family, to community, to the planet, to the universe, to whatever may you, I think that underlies that place of bliss, of happiness, of supreme joy. And whatever way we get there, awesome. But finding ways to get there, making the choice to walk down a path that will lead us there is that peace that we may have let slip out of our modern society. When I was growing up, nobody told me like, hey, make choices that will lead you to supreme joy and supreme bliss. That was not at all a part of my framework. They said, you know, don't do drugs, go to school, get good grades. Right. <laughs> Those things are important, but where's the, where's the meaning? Where's the belonging? Where's the, where's the sense of this is why I'm here? And I think answering that question has been the bane of Western society is like, why are we here? What's this connection between my mind and my body and then my mind and my body and my spirit? And there's so much wisdom to be had dipping into the traditions and the cultures of the world that evolved separately from that logic-oriented, science-oriented A to B because there's a space to welcome in the unknown. And that welcoming in of the unknown, it touches on that same thing that we started with, with, you know, I don't know why I'm here, but it feels like I should be here. So I'm going to keep walking this direction. I'm going to say yes. I'm so glad that you do say yes. I think that I'd love to go back just a moment or two where you're talking about these experiences. And I know through my experience, when I've shared something that I've experienced, whether it be my experience in South America with a sacred Yahe ceremony, or whether it be my experience with holotropic breathwork or profound 5-MeO-DMT experience, that 
it can be perceived, I believe, that, wow, these are just like peak experiences that you're exploring or seeking or having. In some ways, you know, you said when you walked into the yoga studio at 16 years old, you, you certainly didn't expect to be cracked open the way you were through pranayama and asana and, you know, the practice of yoga and meditation and such. And I think it's really important to touch on the idea, the reality, the need for integration of these experiences, because I think there can be a perception that it's just, oh my God, you know, people are just out there getting all trippy dippy and oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do about that? And the reality is that the majority of people who are seeking and, you know, who are curious enough to find practitioners and opportunities, these are not generally, at least from my perspective, and I think I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but we're not talking about just rolling out into peak experiences and sending it. You know, let's run down to South America and, and find a shaman who will, you know, fire up an ayahuasca ceremony. Or let's head to the nearest. You know, I heard of one here, you know, I'm in Park City, Utah. I heard of one happening, you know, nearby in the next couple of weeks. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to be hanging out in somebody's living room, you know, for that experience. And so anyway, there's, there's set and setting, which I think we can get into, and there's integration. And sitting with the experience, yes, there was that handshake with an embrace of pure bliss and consciousness and connection and interconnection. And when you come back, if you will, how do we integrate that? It's such an important piece that we give consideration and time for those experiences to settle and to seep in, right? Like really to seep into our, you know, every cell of our being. I would certainly agree with you. I mean, just the word integration, right? It's about integrating an experience, which we could call it a peak experience. It's a moment that is the highest of highs, whether it comes from, again, asana, breathwork, psychedelics, substance of any sort, or even just spontaneous, you know, gazing into the eyes of a loved one, we can have these peak experiences. And if we don't integrate them into our whole, into our life, then they move off in the timeline. They just fade away into the background. And the practice of integration, there's infinite ways to do it. In Mayan and in Kiche tradition with cacao, the cacao ceremony is the peak experience. We'll use that word. And the integration is part of the ceremony itself. You know, you generally get up and move your body and you dance and you sing. And while it's fresh in your observable subjective experience of whatever just went down, so to speak, you get into your body and you remind yourself like, okay, I'm here. I'm right now. I'm doing this thing. And that's a simple form of integration. The practitioner that I worked with for a few years here in California, she was a medical professional that administered 5-MeO-DMT and clinically trained to do so. And the integration that went along with that was essentially psychotherapy. And, you know, there's often a stigma that like, oh, you only need a therapist if you're broken or if something's wrong. But really it was somebody who was really good at holding a space for you to express 
what it was real for you, what actually happened, and how that relates to the rest of your life. And so that's another, we'll call it the second form of integration, where you just dive into it intellectually and you talk about it with someone who will listen and not project upon you their thoughts, their beliefs, but they'll just hold that space for you to digest your experience and understand how it relates to every day for the rest of your life. And then a third form, which I'm most recently experiencing, and maybe why I earlier said that Vision Quest was the most profound of all of these for me subjectively, and these aren't necessarily my words, speaking from what I learned with a man named Jedi Azuma and Phil Gomez, they host a company called Rising Man. Company is a loose word, but it's a program for initiating and guiding men to express their most authentic self and to really find their vision, to find their place in the world, to find how they show up. And they're good friends, dear brothers of mine, family. And they call integration incorporation. And they chose that word because it's not about just taking the experience and finding a place to put it, to integrate it, to find a place where like, okay, I can put it on the shelf in my house and check up on it when I need. But they fully intend for us to incorporate this transformative peak experience into every moment, every breath for the rest of our life. And the way they phrase this is incorporation is the hardest part. It's the biggest part and it lasts for the rest of our life. It is the choice, taking the agency to every moment for all of our being on this planet, remember what that experience was to us and how it relates to making a cup of coffee or hugging our partner or kissing our child, whatever it is. It's fully incorporating that peak experience of understanding, of connection to source, of unconditional love into the, what could be called the mundane everyday chores. And that incorporation, you know, there's not one recipe that works for everybody. Just like there's not one form of breath work or one form of medicine that gets everybody there. That integration incorporation, as you alluded to, is most definitely, I think the most important part. It is the part that actually makes change in our future and differentiates a transformative experience from a trip or a high. There it is. Thank you for articulating that so well. I love the incorporation is the hardest part. Because isn't it just the way you live your life? And, and I only know bits and pieces. And I, I think I've gotten to know you fairly well. You have some idea of how I live my life. And it is a daily moment to moment practice to incorporate the experiences that we've had. And therein lies the work, right? You got to do the work. And I think that when there's a perception of these, you know, the high or the trip, like, oh, you just went and got high or you just went and had a trip versus a peak experience where something changed things shift, things come into awareness and we feel the things that we feel, then to bring them back and incorporate. Yeah, the same holds true. We can go right back to when you were 16 and you know, I practice yoga pretty regularly. And one of the very basic concepts is 
we can practice on the mat. Let's take what we learn about self and kula or family and energy and this physical asana practice that we couple with pranayama and other things. And let's take it off the mat into the world, into our lives. Let's share that. That's the big challenge. You know, when you're standing at the grocery store and somebody's in too close without a mask on, <laughs> you know, whatever, right? Like, okay, how do I, you know, how do I proceed in a way that is reflective of, of what I've learned or integrates or, or incorporates what I've learned? And I think that's, that's the work. I think so too. Earlier I spoke to the difference in ritual and ceremony, right? And I think the peak experiences are the ceremony. They're the big event that happens once and will never happen again. And never in all of eternity will that experience happen exactly that way another time. And then the ritual is what we do afterwards to implement that into our day-to-day. -day. The ritual is the routine that we create consciously, which serves the purpose of holding the gold, of keeping us in that, that space of, you know, I don't want to put too many words into it because everyone's so different, but that ineffable space that we touch on of connection. How do we remember that when we're in the grocery store? Like you said, we create the rituals, whatever they may be. And, you know, there's so many practices for them. In yoga, we've touched on a few already, but in some of the more native cultures, you know, there's the community, the container that we return to and a ritual that is advised from this practice of vision quest that I went upon is to prepare your community to receive you. And so you set up the ritual of storytelling. Um, so since I've been back, I've been fortunate and I, I say fortunate intentionally because it's hard to find community that can receive a transformed person, an initiated person without putting in some work. That's the truth. Yeah, it's definitely the truth. You know, you're one of the people in my life that I could sit down and have a conversation with, and I know you'd listen and you would reflect back a deeper truth that maybe I didn't even see, but it's hard to do that. Like in the line at Starbucks or in the line at the grocery store. And so the ritual is having a story time, having a place where you can gather the tribe, gather the family, gather the community. Maybe it's mom and dad, maybe it's brothers, maybe it's friends. It's the people that are close to us. And you tell them like, Hey, you know, I'm going on this experience. And when I come back, I could use someone that cares about me to give me some of your time, your attention and receive me as the new man that I am. And so that ritual in this practice looks like having brunch or having dinner or, you know, a walk on the beach and then stopping, sitting down and saying, now I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you Jesse's tale of fasting on the mountain. And they sit, they listen, they respond, you share and now you've got someone else in the world that sees somewhat through your lens that can help you stay in that space of understanding, stay in that space of peak experience because they see you as who you are and they reflect back to you the version of you that you're transforming into as opposed to the version of you that they've come to know and expect throughout their relationship with you. 
hate to project this out onto the listeners, but I know when I hear that, when I hear what you just said, I think of who, who might that be? You certainly, yes, I could do that with you. You, you know, spiritual partner, spiritual guide, friend could do that. I wonder if specifically talking about men, it's not something that I think in our culture, in our society that we're generally real comfortable with, right? And, you know, I can think of a couple of people, you know, Daryl, who was on the river trip, he's another one of them and he's nearby where we could sit down and have that conversation. I wonder, and it'll be interesting over time. I'm optimistic that we can have a community, ATBS the podcast community conversation online somewhere. Right now there's a Facebook group. Not everybody likes Facebook, but that's all right. But where we can have dialogue where people can say, wow, who the hell's that? Where do you find that? It's not like you can go, again, you, you can't go to Amazon and say, hey, what I really need is a spiritual partner here to be able to talk to, <laughs> a brother. And so I think that's really, you know, when I hear that, what you just explained, I, I think in those terms, like, okay, well, that'll turn the lights on for some people, I think. The curiosity, like, hmm, wow, that's interesting. Could I do that? Where would I do that? How would I do that? You know, what ceremony doesn't necessarily need to be a vision quest? When you were talking about storytelling and the, you know, the ritual of storytelling, I was thinking, you know, people have dinner clubs and book clubs and you know, various things where people can get together. And wouldn't it be interesting? And maybe you do this already. I don't in Park City, but maybe will say, hey, you know, look, guys, we're going to get together and have a little have a little sharing. Doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, on the back end of a vision quest. It could just be, hey, look, I'd love to air some things or share some things that, you know, are going on in my life and express where I'd like to be and how I'd like to proceed and have some, you know, some brothers, have some people who say, yeah, I, I can, I'll support you in that. Yeah. I mean, fortunately for you and I, and I guess every other man listening to this, it exists we're definitely not the first people to say, I wish we had this. Like you said, it doesn't have to be coming off the tail end of a peak experience to have that story time, to have that space to share our experience. And it is important. It is important to be able to express that. I was listening recently to a, a rest expert and she spoke to the different forms of rest. And one of them is emotional rest as opposed to, say, sensory rest of stimulus of light and sound or physical rest, resting our body, but emotional rest, you know, resting our emotions. And in our culture, men don't really have a place for that, most of us, because expressing, you know, our deepest emotional truth can't be done in the workplace. We have to put on a persona of the professional. We have to contain and uphold ourselves so that we we get shit done, so to speak. And it doesn't necessarily happen in our relationship because often, and you know, infinite complexity of relationships, but often we're upholding a, a persona or a mask or even a personality that provides for our family. And that doesn't always leave space for really slowing down, cracking open, being vulnerable. And so in the world of men's work, which I'm by no means an expert, there are plenty of 
men's circles that facilitate that exact experience in a profound, a beautiful, a structured and masculine way. You know, it's not a tea party or a book club, which maybe that's what it is for some people. But in my experience, it's called a fire circle. And this is something that's facilitated by the same men I mentioned earlier. They open that up to any man in the world. Anyone's welcome to join. Their website's risingman.org. And we can put that in the show notes, I bet. Absolutely. It's the rising man movement. You know, like I said, it's their mission to initiate an entire generation of men. And that doesn't just happen on the mountain. That happens in community and being able to have that story time, have that space to sit down and say who you are right now, what's happening, what's real. And during COVID, it happens online, but outside of COVID, it happens in person. And I think that there's a good model out there is what I'd like to boil that down to. And there's other groups like Mankind Project and even MRM over in New York, some good friends of mine, we can put that in there too. There's a lot of good places to dive in to what it is to be a man. And I don't mean to be totally gender biased here. It's just my experience. That's where I happen to know the most. I love it. I, I think this is long before ATBS, the podcast existed. There were conversations about life with various people. One person comes to mind. I talked to him just the other day and he and I have known each other for 18 years, 17 years, something like that. He's about a decade younger than I am. And we worked together for years. And, you know, when we first came together, I think I was in my mid to late thirties. He was in his mid to late twenties. I think he would be comfortable saying that in many ways, you know, I've mentored him and, you know, I've learned a lot from him. And, and so we worked together for many years and then he's gone on to do other wonderful things and, you know, married and children and so on and so forth. But one of the things that he asked me about as I was, you know, contemplating podcast sharing, you know, my experiences in life, exploring all sorts of things like this conversation, like we are right here, is he said, Jeff, I think there are a lot of men who are somewhere in the middle part of their lives. And we don't really need to put bookends on it from a, you know, an age perspective, but somewhere in their lives who don't really know which way to turn. They don't really know what to do next. We know how to be fathers and we know how to be husbands and we know how to be workers and employees and employers and things like that. But from a, you know, intrinsically somewhere deep in our soul, you know, what are we doing? He was really the first person to say, I think there are people out there who would listen to this kind of thing. And when I say this kind of thing, it's exactly what you and I are talking about here today. He's not the only one who has said that, but he was the first person in my world, and I'll say a big thank you to Rob Walsh for, <laughs> like, he was the one. He said, I think there are a bunch of people, a bunch of men. And I've talked to a number of other people along the way who are like, that'll be interesting to see where you go, Jeff. And this is an episode that is mm, the second that, that veers in this direction. And there's another one tomorrow, and there's another one after that. And you know, where it's not all the same because the, you know some of the people that I'm talking to. There's an episode that'll come out before this one 
that I did with Ren Butler on the archetypal universe and holotropic breathwork. And again, just there are lots of opportunities for people to explore. And you might just explore in the comfort of your own home by reading about something, or you might explore by going to a yoga class or going, what is that yoga nidra thing that Jesse was talking about, which is happening all around. Like that's not hard to find. So many of these things, I guess when I was talking to Ren, he and I had met at a holotropic breath work workshop and he made it very clear. He said, look, you can Google, there are holotropic breath work practitioners in you know every state in the country, just like yoga, just like, just like an AA meeting, right? Like there, there are AA meetings going on in every town and every city in across the country and around the world. You just have to want to go find them. And I think that's what we're talking about. And hopefully through this conversation and through ATBS, the podcast and people listening and being curious and, and our show notes, program notes and references, people will, you know, have some new information with which to work. I had a conversation, I guess it was back during the winter when people were still moving around. And I went over to see a friend of mine who was in town with his wife and I've known him for decades and a bunch of their friends were in this living room and and I didn't know them. I'd never met them before. They were from a different part of these people's lives. And somehow late after dinner and we were all sitting around the living room, somehow it came up that I've had some of these experiences and oh my gosh, the, you know, the story time and people looking like, oh, wow. And a few of them were like, I've been curious. I just didn't know which way to turn. You know, they're from Vermont and New Hampshire. And hmm. I said, well, we'll we'll put some things together on the podcast and hopefully hopefully help you find what might be near and, and available. What other experiences would you not necessarily suggest, but just reference that are, you know, that are out there in no particular order, in no particular hierarchy, not to make recommendations, but I think it's interesting to maybe touch on a few other things. That's a really good question, Jeff. Aside from what we've covered so far being breathwork and in the school of yoga that I studied, one of the founding principles is that there are infinite paths to the top of the mountain, but they're all going to the same place. You know, it's a metaphor for all the different schools of yoga, all the different paths, um, all the different types of practice. And that metaphor carries out, I am sure, into transformative experience. You know, in the realm of yoga, there's a branch of yoga called bhakti, and that's the yoga of devotion. And that's often expressed through singing or chanting or dancing. It's like the yoga for partiers worked with Bhakti Fest down in <laughs> Joshua Tree for a long time. And, you know, you, you really you just sing out these beautiful devotional chants and move your body and get lost in the expression of voice. And so I'd say singing is one of them. And it doesn't have to be singing an opera, it doesn't have to be singing a you know, a concerto, you don't have to put on the big bravado, pull all the plugs out and get roaring to have a transformational experience that way. But moving into bhakti yoga is one that's moved me in the past. It's a big part of my life. And 
it's going to sound simple and maybe even mundane, but I think truly taking the time to just be alone, to have a sense of solitude and aloneness and spaciousness outside of, you know, the structure and the rigidity of modern society, which explicitly just means out in nature, being by ourselves, surrounded by nothing but life for an extended period of time. You know, maybe it's a whole day, maybe it's sun up till sundown. I think that's more powerful in some ways than these medicine experiences that we touched on earlier, because that is really easy for us to integrate. There's not a sense of mystical, ineffable, external stimulation, but it's just our internal experience. And, you know, that could be scary. I know for many people in the world to go out into the wilderness and be completely alone for a day. I say this with a bias, you know, having a lifelong meditation practice, I look forward to being alone in nature. But at its core, I think that being just in the natural world has a profound healing effect on the human mind, on the human body, and on the human spirit. Agreed. I mean, I think that's beautiful. And I think you said, you know, not to say that it's simple, but it is. It's accessible. And not that I want to stop the conversation because I could, I think we could go and go and go. But for listeners who are thinking through, you know, and I've made notes on, you know, vision quests and yoga and cacao ceremony and yoga nidra and, you know, incorporation is the hardest part and, you know, resting our emotions and men's circles and on and on, you know, all of these things. And they're all available so many ways in. And then to come to, right there where he just the simple act of being alone in nature with nature with ourselves can be as profound as any of these other experiences and i think that's the offer right start there i think that's what i'm going to go do right now you've inspired me before we recorded i i looked out the back door i walked outside and I looked about 25 yards up the hill in the back and there was a deer sitting under a tree in the shade, you know, on a bright sunny day in late July in Park City, Utah, and didn't jump up and run away. And I did what I was there to do and came back in the house. And that connection, going and connecting, and we can do it. It's not that hard to find. Granted, they're going to be listeners who are like, look, man, I'm in Manhattan or I'm in LA or whatever, it's going to take a little more effort to get out there to find it, but it is there. You don't have to go too far. And so Jesse, I am honored. I appreciate you being willing. I know there was some apprehension, some trepidation way back when, and I'm so glad that you choose into life every day the way you do. I always look forward to our conversations. And I, I know that we've shared and you've shared through your experiences and your eloquent delivery, shared some opportunities and some ideas with people that I think will resonate. And I hope people will pick up on some of them and take them where they will. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend an entire hour with you and just have this time to dive into what is and what has been. So thanks for having me, Jeff. It is my great pleasure, Jesse. And uh, I suspect this will not be the last time. I certainly hope. Mm, looking forward to the next. Peace, brother.
Peace, my friend. Thank you for listening to ATBS, the podcast and the threshold experience with Jesse, the red bear. As always, show notes are full of references for you to explore. Thanks for your interest in ATBS, the podcast. I sure appreciate it. We'll catch you here next time on ATBS, 